Hey there, welcome to Switchblade Sisters, where women get together to slice and dice our favorite action and genre films. I'm film critic April Wolf. Every week, I invite a new female filmmaker on, a writer, director, actor, producer, and we talk in depth about their fave genre film, maybe one that influenced their own work. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with actor, writer, director Sophia Takal. Hi. <laughs> Many of you listeners may know Sophia because of her collaborations with her husband, the writer and director Lawrence Michael Levine. Uh, her breakout role came in his 2010 film Gabby on the Roof in July. I say roof I know, like a Michigander. Like, oh, sorry, okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Gabby on the Roof in July, <laughs> in which she played Gabby, a wild idealist who challenges her brother's worldview. The film had a supporting cast that included Lena Dunham, Caitlin Sheil, and Amy Simons. So you can imagine it kind of felt like this watershed moment in cinema, all these great people coming together. Um, after that film, Sophia directed and starred in Green, which won the South by Southwest Chicken and Egg Emergent Narrative Woman Director Prize. It's such a long title. I know, they couldn't even fit it on the egg. I know. <laughs> <laughs> she then went on to star in a host of other films, including All the Light in the Sky, Wild Canaries, and VHS. So if you look at her IMDb page, however, you will see her acting credits end abruptly at 2015 because Sophia was taking that time to direct another film, 2016's Always Shine, starring Mackenzie Davis and Caitlin Fitzgerald. Always Shine is a tense character study thriller about two young struggling actresses, frenemies, I would say, who go away to Big Sur for the weekend, exacerbating their silent feud. The competitiveness of the business has some catastrophic effects on these two women as they turn against one another on what's supposed to be a relaxing vacation. It is not. It is very tense. One character even assumes the identity of the other in a bizarre twist that had me riveted all the way through in this film. I give it a very positive review on yeah. LA Weekly, Thanks so you can check that, that out. Um, so I'm very excited that the movie Sophia chose to discuss today bears some resemblance in, in some ways to her own um, and it's Brian De Palma's body double he knew he had gone too far he couldn't stop he saw exactly what she wanted him to see Sophia can you tell me why Body Double is one of your fave genre films well I think it's a really fun movie like it's not it's not super feminist, but it's, there's something like very enjoyable for me about watching a male director like explore his own impotence and like fear and the way he distances himself from personal relationships through a camera. It, it, it feels very ironic in a lot of ways, but it also feels really personal to me that a, a male filmmaker would make a movie about just like using the camera to gaze at women. So I like the combination of like campy irony and then also like you can't escape when you make a movie, you're putting something of yourself in it. And I just think it's so fun to watch like Hollywood in the 80s. I think the filmmaking is amazing. The production design and the camera work and the performances, it's very heightened um, in a way that I kind of feel like they don't make movies with that sort of like height, heightened especially performance style. I think everything's like a lot more grounded now and, and yeah, people, people are like afraid of being campy or something. Yeah, everything has to be very realistic or yeah. something. But this this definitely utilizes the Hollywood idea of, you know, what a film set is, what an actor's life is. Yeah, I mean, the beginning is so cool. Or They do it twice, like where you're, there's like a misdirect where you're watching the movie and it's a movie and a movie, but you don't realize it right away. Yeah. Well, I'm going to back up just oh, a little yeah, bit. Sorry. 
<laughs> um, because for those who haven't seen Body Double, today's episode will give you not some spoilers. It will give you a lot of spoilers. Uh, but that shouldn't stop you from listening before you watch. My motto is that it's not what happens, but how it happens that makes a movie worth watching. Still... Uh-huh. Although in the case in of Body way, Double, it might you it should might. watch the movie first. Maybe maybe pause this. <laughs> if you want to pause and peep Body Double first, please do so now. Okay, is everyone back? Everyone who's seen it, I did research on this before I had rewatched it because I actually forgot it. I oh, forgot you forgot this. the big twist. Yeah, I forgot everything, and so I'm going to give everyone a recap of what Body Double okay. is about. <laughs> Directed by Brian De Palma in 1984, Body Double stars Craig Wasson as Jake Scully, a struggling actor who walks in on his girlfriend sleeping with someone else. We follow Jake from audition to audition as he becomes friendly with another actor, Sam Bouchard, played by Greg Henry. So Sam rescues Jake from a really emotionally invasive acting teacher, which is so weird and I need to ask if that's what really happens <laughs> and then offers Jake a posh place to stay until he can get on his feet. The house turns out to be the John Lautner Chemisphere House, um, which is high up in the hills overlooking some mansions. Included in those mansions is the home of a woman named Gloria who dances in the nude every night at the same time. Weird. <laughs> Sam even has a telescope set up so Jake can watch the show. Um, But when Jake witnesses Gloria getting beat on by a mysterious man, he grows wary and warier still when he notices a disfigured native man spying on (laughs) Gloria, too. Sorry, this is such a problematic movie. (laughs) It is. It's such a problem. It's like a very 80s movie. Yes, we're going to get into that. I mean, Jake, he begins following Gloria when he notices the native man is also tailing her. Um, Jake's not sure what's happening, but he knows that this guy is up to no good. So he follows Gloria to the beach. Where this native man snatches her purse then. Jake gets to play the hero, returning her purse and then making out with Gloria on the beach. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He thinks things are just hunky-dory. Until he sees through the telescope a man with a large power drill waiting to kill Gloria. Unfortunately, Jake's own fears prevent him from acting in time to save Gloria, but this whole plot thickens when Jake sees a porno commercial featuring a woman named Holly Body, played by Melanie Griffith, who dances exactly like Gloria did in her windows. So Jake goes undercover kind of to see how Holly's involved and also confronting a host of fears as he tries to figure out who exactly killed Gloria and why. Right. You know, who is this mysterious native (laughs) man? I mean, they call him the Indian. I don't, I don't, this is a, this is a can of worms, right? Um, where do we start with this movie? One of the things that I love is Barbara Crampton's very short scene oh, yeah. as um, the girlfriend who cheats on uh, Jake. Yeah, with her like inscrutable reaction. She just sort of looks at him like, yeah. She's like, disgusted she's i think she decides like in her mind like well i didn't like this relationship anyway you know like i'm not gonna try to salvage it i was watching with my husband and i was like how would i react if he walked in on me just like sleeping with another dude in our bed like i wonder what i get like she doesn't even dismount in this movie (laughs) she's like she's almost angry that he interrupted her like her her orgasm well what's also interesting well so like a big part of this movie is that this guy has claustrophobia and he can't like vocalize his fear mm-hmm. or you know he can't assert himself in this way and i and so he walks in on his what wife or girlfriend and yeah. 
just like stares at her and for ver- like the camera holds on him for a very long time and he just like doesn't emote. Yeah. And I just thought that that was like a really interesting thing. Just this idea of this guy who who a is claustrophobic, which to me feels like very much like birth can like when he's going through the tunnel chasing after. Yeah, it's very like, vaginal, yeah, isn't it's it? Very vaginal. And so he's like claustrophobic. He feels like he's stuck and he like can't vocalize his fear. There was just like something very. I mean, I'm not a therapist, but it felt like it was something you could explore in therapy if you wanted to, if you were that guy. <laughs> About his performance, he's he's been criticized before that actor as um, Craig Craig Vassen um, for, you know, kind of being kind of like a dead fish mm-hmm. in films. But I think that he actually delivers a pretty decent performance here. He's, great he's really, um, it fits him. You know, you feel like De Palma selected the right person right. for this character. And I thought it was fun when I was looking through old interviews with him after this movie had come out. Every um, person that interviewed him was just like, do you think this is the one that's going to help you break your career? And he was like, I don't know. I really thought it was going to be, you know, this other one or I thought it was going to be this other one. (laughs) Maybe it will be this one. Yeah. Um, And one of the things that people always asked him about, too, was um, because this movie is pretty violent. Mm-hmm. Um, was how he felt about violence himself. How did he feel? Well, um, he had definitely a few things to say, <laughs> um, but he was actually pretty uh, for it, I would say. He was pro-violence? Yeah, he was pro-violence in film. In one interview, he even said, violence is horrifying. It should be horrifying. At night, you're at home with a family and you're watching shows with people shooting everybody. People would be repelled by violence if if it were portrayed as it really is. The story is all about a guy trying to break through his own path and stop the violence, though. Mm -hmm. So he felt that it was, you know, the way that he was doing it is like, he's not the person who's perpetrating it. He wants to end it. And that's to him what he saw the message of the film was. But he was, he thinks that, or he did. He thought it would be a disservice to people that they wouldn't see, you know, for instance, the blood on, on the drill or coming through the ceiling. Uh, like, yeah. You know, he. I think he, he felt that showing that was honest in a way. I guess he's right. What do you think? I mean, I'm still trying to parse it. The, the way that this violence is shown, I mean, you, it, you can't say that it's not sexual. Right. It's not. Yeah, like there's a drill. It's like a penis. Yeah. And although De Palma said in many interviews that he did not mean to make it sexual, the violence in this film. Right. Well, that's what's so cool about filmmaking is because, like, you don't mean it, but it's in your subconscious. <laughs> that's why this movie, I think, is so crazy because there's so – I think there's so much coming out in, in from his subconscious that, like, he doesn't even realize. Like a drill penis. <laughs> yes, like a drill penis. I mean, there's one shot, and I'm sure that you're thinking of this particularly as well, where um, – the killer, his um, he's holding the drill and he's holding it between his legs and his legs are, you know, straddled, straddling this woman. And we see him from like a butt shot. Right. Mm-hmm. And we just see that drill coming down and it's really taking it, the penis's place. Yeah. Going through this he, woman. Ryan DePalma said he didn't mean for that to be a penis. He did. I'm not fucking <laughs> joking. He definitely did in multiple interviews. And, you know, he was getting drilled really <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even make to make that pun. Okay, he was getting drilled real hard when this movie came out um, by a lot of uh, feminist groups, um, including Women Against Pornography. Right. And so every interview that I could find, it had all these questions in it. Not many people were asking him about the craft mm-hmm. or about you know like why he needed that bed to be rotating while this guy was watching porn. Um, 
<laughs> which I, I needed to know. Um, he So he wasn't asked any of those questions. He was asked about the violence and about violence against women specifically. Oh, interesting. But was this the first time there's this much violence against women in a movie or something? Like, why were they so focused on it with this movie? Well, I think because it was more of a mainstream film. Okay. He had cut it because it was going to be an X-rated film, much mm-hmm. like his first film was. So he had cut it so it would be an R-rated film. And I think the problem was that it was mainstream. So I see. You have this director, and so it's it's a wide release, and many people are, are able to see it. Right. And it's, like, si- simultaneously titillating and, and disturbing. And that probably brought up a lot for people. It did. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit more about that also after our break, because we're going to take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to Switchblade Sisters. Hey, Helen Hong. Yes, J. Keith Van Stratton? What's the difference between a layover and a stopover? I have no idea. What's the difference between optimal and optimum? I have no idea. What's the difference between an actual conversation and a promo for our new show on Maximum Fun, Go Fact Yourself? Nobody has any idea. Go Fact Yourself, the game show with celebrity contestants, super smart experts, and answers to questions you've never even asked. Listen twice a month on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And be in the audience for our tapings of Go Fact Yourself in downtown L.A. It's free. Go to GoFactYourPod.com for more info. We're having a very realistic conversation. Yes, we are. And we're back. You're listening to Switchblade Sisters with April Wolf, and I'm speaking to Sophia Takal. Hi. Oh, hey again. Hey again. <laughs> we were talking about violence in body double. Yeah. Can you be a feminist and also enjoy having this ultra-violent uh, drill killer yeah. penetrate a woman's stomach? I hope so, because I consider myself a feminist and I enjoyed that movie <laughs> and that moment. I don't know. You know what's so messed up is that, like, to me, that doesn't seem that violent anymore. No, it doesn't. So it's hard for me to put myself in the mind space of some feminist who had, like, come up in the 70s seeing that. But in general, I think the 80s is a really interesting, terrible time for women in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I feel like this really, this movie really, like, captures this idea of women as playthings for men and and as as objects basically where they're just like they're dancing performing titillating and that the men are either yeah there's just like such a disconnect between either the man watching from afar or killing her for not being like exactly what he wants her to be i guess you don't know that while you're watching that part of it but yeah like he is mad at her and so he kills her because he can't have her. Well, I mean, I'd love to talk about the idea of female nudity in this film, too, mm-hmm. because we're talking about voyeurism and, and that kind of thing. And also how it relates to Always Shine, your film. Yeah. Um, because we've got a lot of female nudity in this. Mm-hmm. So much. <laughs> yeah. It's, One it's, of the most interesting, I was like, I kept watching, you know, Melanie Griffith is the one doing the dancing. Yeah. But I couldn't tell that. Even having watched it more than once, I was like, wait, which time was Melanie Griffith? I'm so confused because I was just watching her body the whole time because she's yeah. like naked and wearing jewels. Yeah. And like even even though I've seen it and even though I 
don't like to objectify women, I found myself just like so fascinated by watching her body because it's like so nice to watch and it's like dancing in such a sexy way. It was like really hard to focus on anything else in the frame. And I really mm-hmm. feel like Brian De Palma was counting on people's... The same diversion. Yeah. We've got these shots of, um, or these scenes in Body Double where, and let's even just talk about body doubles mm-hmm. in Hollywood anyway, yeah. because body doubles exist because um, actresses, uh, most often actresses, do not feel comfortable getting nude on camera or, you know, they think it will affect their career. And so you have this kind of very overt idea about body doubles and and um, nudity on camera in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Your film opens up with a really disturbing <laughs> and just incredibly sad scene yeah. of um, the actress Caitlin Fitzgerald um, delivering a monologue, essentially, um, with a, in a very extreme close-up. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And you realize a little like halfway through that she's doing like a, an audition or a screen test. And then right after she does this beautiful performance that is just like, oh, my God, this is so painful. What the the casting director, the director in your film, like it's just a voice. What does he say? He's, like, He's just like, what's going on? And she's like, I didn't know. if." You, and they're like, oh, you you don't you wanted to know if you, you, you know, there's nudity in this. Right. Like if you're nervous about getting naked, which is crazy. It's reminding me. I keep reading all these articles about actresses like the past couple of weeks. And it's all the same kind of vibe of just like. You're cool being naked, right? Like, you're, you know, you're just there. You're just here. It doesn't matter. Your performance doesn't matter. We need to know that you're going to be willing to show your tits and you're not going to be a problem. Exactly. Like, there's there's almost no breath in between the end of this gorgeous monologue that she gives and then this casting director voice saying, like, you can get naked, right? <laughs> it is just so, like, guttural. Like, uh, can you take off your top? Adele told you there was going to be nudity, right? Yeah, we want to make real sure that signal doesn't get crossed. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I'm sorry, I just, I wasn't sure. Oh, she, she's wondering if we needed her to... Oh, you mean like right now? Yeah, no, that's not necessary. Oh, okay. No, we can see how beautiful you are. No, look, it's... We appreciate your determination, but she did tell you that the nudity is fairly extensive, though, Adele, right? Um, she, uh, she just said that there was nudity. No, it's extensive. Oh, it's so insulting. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I think that there's, and that movie's meant to be a horror movie too. Like, I think that there's an expectation. I don't know which came first, like that horror is geared more towards men or that men just happen to grab, like, I don't know what it is, but I definitely feel like there's an expectation in a lot of horror movies for women to be titillating to men, for for it to be a, the like part of the fun of watching a horror movie is getting to see um women naked and in body double the first time when like that guy, his friend who brings him to that apartment yeah sam tells him shows him there's this like really weird camaraderie where they're like they they just seem like such little kids they're like look you can look across the street and see a naked lady and i i asked my i was like why is that a thing like why are people into that like i don't even get it like yeah. why and it's she, my husband was just like it's just like when you're a kid like especially in the 80s before porn was so ubiquitous on the internet like it was just like this fantasy that you'd get like a live nude show in your window and it was just this like again it's like this thing where like women are untouchable in this way mm-hmm. so it's too scary to get involved in a woman and have that happen but if you're protected by a screen or by a window you can watch them perform for you and like 
pleasure you basically without having to get involved in the messiness of like actually interacting with them. <laughs> oh, gosh, <laughs> it's just so hard to talk to women. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I want to use that to segue into Hitchcock themes here mm-hmm. because I mean. This film is very Hitchcock. Very. I mean, it's like Vertigo and Rear Window. Yes, and also a little bit of Dial M for Murder too, mm-hmm. in like the the phone cord scene and some of that. Oh yeah. Um, and I mean, I had read many interviews where um, De Palma said that at some point he had been compared to Hitchcock Hitchcock so often that he said, "Fuck it, I'm going to do real, real <laughs> Hitchcock. Like, yeah. just take all of it from him." And I I think that having vertigo themes in this mm-hmm. um i mean hitchcock was also like an overt misogynist yeah too. <laughs> totally. i mean but yet i love his films and i love the women in his films yeah and i think that it's it has something to do with what you're, what you're talking about with the unconscious and these directors and the way that they view women you for know, sure it's all voyeuristic yeah um but what did you think of these voyeuristic scenes what did you think of hitchcock scenes like that I'm just like trying to think back on Vertigo. I just yeah, there's this i there's just this idea that that Brian De Palma this movie has and that Vertigo has, where the interchangeability of women like that you can you can always and I guess always shine kind of plays around this too. Like, it does, and I was going like, to talk about that. <laughs> you can like. M- Women are interchangeable. It's like the qualities that they have, like their bodies or their hair color are really the thing that makes them. There's no like inner core or personality to them that is discernible to the male. Mm-hmm. Like obviously they are different people, but just to to the male, they're, all they're seeing is like a vessel for their desire and their need. Um, and we're seeing this film through their eyes. Right. So Yeah, it's a very male gazy film. Which is it's interesting to like be in that. It makes it doesn't always make me feel comfortable to see the world as these male characters see it. Right. Yeah. But then it's also like in Body Devil, the main guy is like in some ways he's really harmless. I don't know. There's it almost feels for me watching it like a safe way of understanding the male gaze because he doesn't feel like a threat in the way that in some other movies the male characters do so i'm like oh he's just like, even the cop in the movie is like oh you're just like an innocent peeping tom huh you're not like a real freak or whatever it is <laughs> yeah and i'm just like it's kind of true like i feel safe <laughs> i feel safe watching women from his point of view because i know he's not gonna be like really bad to them or something i mean like we hope <laughs> yeah but i love meeting holly body through this because holly is such a phenomenal character even if we don't spend that much time with her she actually does have these really um uh like i feel like she's in power of her own mm-hmm. self her own body um and she has that one really great um uh line that she says to jake when he asks her um oh this is it oh it's so good when he asks her about you know being in one of his porns and she's <laughs> like I do not do animal acts. I do not do S&M or any variations of that particular bent. No water sports either. I will not shave my pussy. No fist fucking and absolutely no coming in my face. I get $2,000 a day and I do not work without a contract. And I was like, yes, yeah. go Holly Body. She's cool. <laughs> <laughs> She's really empowered. Yes. Right? And it shows like that. Um, those lines that kind of come out of 
nowhere for me in this film because that's not what I would assume right. a female character w- would be like in this world. Yeah, it isn't. It's fascinating. Also, you know, we talked about earlier um, a little bit the idea that actors, or I'm sorry, actresses are interchangeable for these men. Mm-hmm. Um, that women kind of look the same. Um, De Palma had originally tried to cast for Gloria a blonde. And so when Deborah Shelton had come into her audition, she was like, I already am not going to get this part. But she did it anyway. They cast her immediately after it. Like she had like gone to the bathroom and it was just like this guy was like giving me no like indicator of anything. And then they tracked her down the building. They were like, no, you have it. You have it. But did they say why they liked her so much for it? No. Uh uh. I want like I'm just like when you cast a movie where like the actress doesn't have a lot of words, are you just casting physical appearance? Doesn't have a lot of words, doesn't have a lot of lines. I'm, I don't know. You know? Like is that is he looking for someone who create I wonder how male directors cast movies is basically what I'm wondering. Like are you looking for someone that like you find attractive that turns you on in an erotic thriller? Are you like with body doubles, you're like literally watching people get naked. Yeah. And seeing what their bodies look like and making sure that they're acceptable. Yeah. I mean, they have to titillate, as we said before. Have you, I mean, have you had to get naked in an audition before? I don't think you're allowed to even ask that. I don't think. But I remember someone told me, who was it? Some horror director or writer was like, if it's someone who's meant to be naked in the movie, they'll ask them to come in in a bathing suit. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty close to getting naked. It is. Yeah. You're very vulnerable still. It's so weird. What a weird thing. When I stopped auditioning for stuff because I would go into these auditions and everyone would be dressed in very sexy titillating clothes and wearing like a ton of makeup and high heels. And it would be for like, it would be like eight in the morning and it would be for like an audition for some sitcom where like that's not what you're supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. But there's this, I think, hopefully it's changing, but there's this expectation that no matter what the role is, the female characters are are must be attractive in a particular way. That all stems from so many of the people making movies and deciding who's in them are male men, which is a bummer. Well, on that note, we're <laughs> going to take a quick break. <laughs> You're listening to Switchblade Sisters. I like to Hulu and chill. Am I a monster? What's happening on Game of Thrones? What's a technical Emmy? Why did Dominic Toretto go rogue? Is this meme already dead? Nicki Minaj or Remy Ma? For answers to these questions and so much more, come on over to Pop Rocket, a pop culture roundtable discussion that always has a fun, diverse panel talking about the stuff we love. Catch us every Wednesday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you decide to get your podcast. I'm not going to judge. And welcome back. You're listening to Switchblade Sisters. I'm April Wolf, and I'm here with Sophia. Yay! So Sophia Takal and I are talking body double today, and wow, it's a range of emotions for yeah. this movie. It's bringing up a lot for me. It is. I want to go into something that, like, there might be a little bit uh, funnier. I okay, guess. cool. Um, because I do want to talk about, and maybe God, maybe this will just be depressing too. I want to talk about why people tend to laugh at the disturbing images in De Palma films because (laughs) like 
I know that the disturbing image in this, like the second that I see like the drill and I know it's going through this woman, I'm like, (laughs) 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 and and I wanted to have a quote from uh, De Palma explaining some of this. He said, because people laugh because they're so uneasy, they can't deal with it. Later, in an effort to explain their reactions, they try to rationalize the experience. They say it's too violent. It's contemptuous of women. Like Rex Reed, they say it's horrible garbage. (laughs) Or the other big cop out, it's all satire. They can't deal with the drill because it's so viscerally disturbing. So they say it's parody. But I feel like I get into these weird, uncomfortable laughing fits when I watch Body Double because I'm shocked. And it's it's like so ridiculous. It's so evil. Yeah. I think he's a little right, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I think people are just really uncomfortable. But also, he wouldn't even admit that it was a penis. So, like, he obviously doesn't see everything about that scene in particular. No. Like, it's funny because it is so phallic. And it's such a... It's like... It's it's kind of clever. You're just like, oh, you're ex- you know, like you're exploring violence towards women with this phallic phallic shaped object. Like, yes, it is. A, it does feel a little satirical. It does feel a little ironic. The only reason he said the only reason he chose a giant drill was because it needed to be visible through, like, the from wall. very far away. Oh, from very far away. Do you, wait, did I tell the story already and I'm just having crazy deja vu? I don't know. So do you know that Brian De Palma, when he was a teenager, his mother became obsessed with the idea that his father was having an affair. He was a doctor. And he, his mother enlisted Brian De Palma to spy on his father and yeah. uncovered an affair. But like he used all the spy equipment and got very into voyeurism at a very young age. And I think that's another interesting lens to look at this movie from. Because and it's so interesting that he became a filmmaker. Like he was just like watching people having sex, like using like telescopes and binoculars and all of this detective stuff, and uncovering a dark secret about his own family. Yeah. Um, so that was something else that was in my mind when I was watching the movie. I was just like, oh, voyeurism, just like voyeurism in life and voyeurism as a filmmaker, and and thinking about voyeurism as an audience member and and what seeing violence does to you and how it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. It's all very interesting. I mean, it's it's fascinating that if you if you see his his whole kind of career as being a voyeur mm-hmm. and stemming from these you know incidents, like when he was a child, um, it seems like he's he's really interested in uh, uncovering the secrets of his characters, yeah. right? Um, one of the one of the things I want to get to that also uh, I can relate to always shine has to do with the prevalence of shower and bathroom scenes in Mm. films um de palma has been called out many a time for the number of bathroom and shower scenes that he has um and that he did have and he said that he had taken it really as an idea from hitchcock and he said um hitchcock discovered that people feel safe in the bathroom with the door shut it's a place where someone comes in you feel violated and in this film and in all of them, there you know, there's some kind of scene where someone's in the bathroom being looked at and yeah. you think it's like unsafe, something like that. If I look at Always Shine, there's also a really interesting moment where I think that um, Caitlin Fitzgerald's character is maybe in the shower mm-hmm. and then Mackenzie Davis comes in. Yeah. And Mackenzie Davis is so scary in this movie. <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> she is so scary. I mean, this is before San Junipero, isn't it? Before yeah. she even filmed that mm-hmm. or any of the other things that she had. Yeah, before she even filmed Blade Runner. Before she filmed Blade Runner, yeah. I remember seeing that and I was like, oh, wow, this woman is 
special. Yeah, she's great. They both are wonderful. Yeah, um, terrifying together. I mean, a lot of the stuff in Always Shine is like play is like playing with the tropes of horror movies that are often filmed through the male gaze and like giving it a different um, spin, if you will. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that there is something. It's weird that it's true that it feels very exposing to be to to put yourself in the position of a character who's like bathing and thinks they're alone and naked and there's just nowhere they can hide they can't even hide behind their clothing mm-hmm. um it's very it's like very exposing and i do feel like when i watch scary scenes that happen in bathrooms i feel especially tense because i just feel so bad for the characters but now i can't even take a shower or bath without locking the door because of all these movies oh i mean that's a thing one of the things that now the, it doesn't feel safe yeah like the hitchcock thing like oh it feels safe like, no it doesn't uh, anymore. That's, yeah at some <laughs> point in time it did and that's one of the things that i think he was saying with the rest of this quote because he was saying that it's like uh, it's become a genre convention yeah. right by the time that he gets to body double he's just doing what other people do even though he was one of the people who kind of uh, made it into a genre convention alongside um hitchcock yeah does he does he feel like because it's a convention in horror movies you ha- he felt like obligated to do it in some way or what's I'm, he saying I'm not sure I think that he just feels like it's a useful tool at this yeah. point I mean if you think about bathrooms in general and how on TV like they couldn't even show bathrooms for a really long time really yeah like like no there were never there was never anything where there was like someone in the bathroom like it wasn't like like That's I love so Lucy or something. Wild. Like when were they in the bathroom? You're totally ever? right. Like no one's like sitting it's on the toilet. It's just such a private or... place. It is. Yeah. Have they made a horror movie where someone's like taking a shit and someone comes in and kills them? Oh my god, I'm sure that they have. Because that feels scarier to me than being in the shower. <laughs> so, um, and if we want to talk about genre conventions and things that have kind of become um, ubiquitous in this world of horror and thrillers and suspense. Um, The quote that I had given about um, Hitchcock discovering the bathrooms being safe, it continues. He says, to me, it's almost a genre convention at this point, like using violins when people look at each other or using (laughs) women in situations where they are killed or sexually attacked. Brian De Palma said that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Women over the history of Western culture seem to be a lot more vulnerable than men. It has a lot to do with their being less strong. They made a movie with Roy Scheider being stalked in a basement. Scheider is the guy who killed Jaws. Who is going to jump out at Roy Scheider? <laughs> Obviously, children in peril is also something you'd connect with. But there's something too awful about that. Hmm. Interesting. So people asked him, you know, most like so many times, like, why are women always in peril in your Because that's a genre convention. It's a He's like, it wouldn't be as interesting. It wouldn't be as... What's the alternative? If men were the ones in, in peril? Mm-hmm. Or if... Men or children. I wonder if part of it is because, like, women can sort of represent life itself. Hmm. Because women give birth? Well, and that might be to men, specifically. Right, right, that right, they right. Might, Yeah. I mean, yes, obviously this is all... Because men are in charge of deciding what gets made. <laughs> um, yes, but if a man, a male director perceives women as being uh, the life-giving force, yeah, then their their being in peril has an extra added layer of like, uh, terror. You maybe, know? or they, or it's like a distancing mechanism for them because they don't want to have to confront their own mortality. They would like to confront mortality, but without having to think about themselves dying. Well, I mean, I think that it's it's nice to be able to put yourself into um, a savior position. Yeah. And 
What? Oh, I just had a crazy thought. What is your crazy so thought? So maybe it's revenge because men are expected to put themselves in harm's way in real life, mm-hmm. like by going to, like, you know, by get, getting drafted for war. I mean, now obviously all this stuff is changing, but back then, like, yeah, yeah. The, men, the men were drafted and the women weren't. And, like, a lot of time, like, men's bodies are considered, like, less sacred than female bodies. Oh, yeah. So there's just this, maybe there's, like, a revenge or, like, a fantasy of women being put in harm's way too because men are secretly resentful that their their bodies are less valued than female bodies. Oh, I had not even thought about this. Crazy, right? Oh my god, like I said in the beginning of the show, cans of worms. <laughs> <laughs> because like also women's bodies aren't safe in the real world, but like maybe men don't realize that or something. Yeah, they may they may not know, but I have to say that like to totally do a counterpoint on this interview that you gave, <laughs> one of my favorite movies is Misery. Oh yeah. That feels so good because, well, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, that feels so good to watch. Doesn't it feel, (laughs) it's one of those movies that I will never tire of. Kathy Bates with those kind of vacant, pleading eyes. Yeah. I wonder if watching Misery, like, it makes me feel uncomfortable how much, like, I enjoy the woman treating a man that way. Yes, I know. Because, like, you know, there's, like, a little bit of me. Yeah. That. And I wonder how men feel watching other men kill or exploit or defile women if they're like recognizing a part of them and if that makes them uncomfortable or if they are just experiencing sheer joy from watching it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Unadulterated sheer joy just from like, watching it's it. It's just like safe to watch it on TV because it's not real and they're just like exorcising that from their subconscious. Looking at your own work. What about this movie kind of in- inspires you? I almost feel like I watched Body Double a couple times when my husband and I were working on Always Shine. And I almost feel like this is the perfect movie to prove the point that I'm trying to make about like the way women are treated in Hollywood. Um, and I don't want to sound like bitter about it because I actually love the movie, but it's just so exploitative of female bodies it's so um impersonal in a way the female characters are not that well drawn Mm -hmm. and and i was so angry as an actor like in experiencing working on movies where i felt objectified and pushed to the sidelines and i and always shine is sort of a reaction to how i felt and i think how a lot of actresses feel and i think we're learning more and more about that recently just like how objectified actresses can feel like from the very beginning of the audition process all the way through the shoot and I just feel like I could almost just like show body double and then just be like see guys this is what I mean and um <laughs> show like a double feature <laughs> yeah, where like you're a like, double like feature. yeah exactly like every single like point in the thesis if you will of always shine is like proven in body double that is all the time that we have for today's show. I hope that you guys gleaned some fun, useful information about Body Double and the world of Brian De Palma and um, and this, you know, this beautiful world of 80s filmmaking and, and horror. Um, I want to thank my guest, Sophia Takal. Hey, thank you. And thank you all for listening. Next week, we'll be talking to writer Jesse Nixon-Lopez about her work on Stranger Things and also about the 1968 classic Rosemary's Baby. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Here's a lovely review we received this week. 
read a history book once in a while, says, This podcast has made me aware of filmmakers I knew little about, and it's so fun to listen to them talk about the films they love. F yes. Well, you know what? F yes to you. Thanks so much, because we love history. We love films. All of it. If you guys want to let us know what you think of the show, you can tweet at us at SwitchbladePod on Twitter or email us at SwitchbladeSisters at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of MaximumFun.org. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.